and I still haven't eaten. I mean, I had oh. first dinner, but I haven't had second dinner. That's always <laughs> problematic. <laughs> Wait, is this true? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much goes first dinner, nap, second dinner. That's my evenings, pretty much. <laughs> Wait, do you have a nap on a daily basis? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Depending on, you know, if I have time. You're like a cat. I am like a cat. I mean, as I said in the last show, I do love sleeping. If I leave work at a reasonable hour or slightly early, you know, like a little 6.30 to 7, 7 o'clock nap, pretty good. I think mm. if it gets after 7.30, then I would skip the nap. But what time then do you usually sleep at night? Oh, about 11. What? <laughs> and then what time do you wake up? I love sleeping. Uh, 7. That is like... Almost nine hours of sleeping time. Isn't that bliss? In total. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a heavy, I'm a big sleeper. A big sleeper? Yeah. That is amazing. What happens on the days when you can't get nine hours? Like, let's say you get five hours. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm, I'm a wreck. Does your personality change drastically? Try to, I like to think I cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the people closest to me will notice that I have not had, <laughs> I have not slept enough. Speaking of sleep updates, we haven't had pillow talk for a while. Oh, boy. So the, <laughs> okay. the cervical pillow is actually serving me well. Um, wait, there's, there's surely a pun in there. Cervix, <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> cervical pillow. Serving, cervicling mm. you well? Mm, okay, it doesn't work. It is. Let's move on. So it's serving you well. I'm glad to hear that. Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. I don't sleep in my bed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sorry to hear that this it's not because my wife and i are fighting or we're on the fritz or anything <laughs> no we're actually on very very good terms good glad to hear it um yeah the thing is my kids uh have been waking up in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and whenever they wake up in the middle of the night one of them would run to our bedroom oh so sweet and it would disrupt everyone's sleep so not only is my sleep disrupted, my wife's sleep is disrupted, and my other kid would wake up because he... Right. Our doors, like, I put a spring on his door so it closes automatically, like, gently, mm. but the way he opens it <laughs> in the middle of the night, it just, like, slams it. So that was cute the first time, now you're just like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous, right? right? So, but if I sleep in their room... Mm. Um, they just run over to you. He uh, jump on your usually head. will look down at where I'm sleeping... And then be okay with it and just go back to sleep. And he actually ends up having a deeper sleep. As a person who likes sleeping, I can appreciate that. And I think my daughter has sort of picked up on this as well. And so she began to check if I was there or not. And if I wasn't there, rather than sort of remedying the situation by getting out of bed mm. and coming to our room, she'd just cry. Sam, they've got you wrapped around their little fingers already. Mm -hmm. And this is how it starts. Obviously, don't take any parenting advice from me because I'm a horrible person, but... Uh -huh. By acquiescing to their demands, is that not setting a precedent? It is. It definitely is. So we were able to do it with um, the first kid pretty well. But because there's a second child involved, there was... And I forget the reasoning of it. It's like, if I just sleep there, there is going to be a point where I can actually explain to them that they need to stay in their rooms. Maybe in three to four years' time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in about five years' time. Yeah, right. Um. No, but uh, I think that was the main thing is that we want them to understand like what is happening. 
So I think we're getting to a point that's close to that where I can actually just leave the room. We are planning on it. It is it is something that we have to do. But yeah. Yeah, maybe you can like slowly sleep like towards the hallway and then sleep mm-hmm. down the sneak hall. Out. And over time, you gradually move your maybe like a sleeping bag. Yep. And a little a little mat. And then you can just, like each night you move like three inches further away from them mm-hmm. <laughs> until you're back in your own bed. There you go. That's some parenting advice from me right there. <laughs> <laughs> that is the other issue is that a lot of times when I do put them to bed, like I'm also very tired. Mm-hmm. So I end up just sleeping and then I'd wake up and it's like two in the morning and I'm like, okay, do I go back to bed and then risk everyone waking up or do I just continue to sleep? There's lots of moving parts here. So what is the pillow situation then when you are not sleeping in your own bed? <laughs> so for a while, when I was actually using the cervical pillow, like I was, I was pretty fond of it. Um, but now it's not like I'm going to carry around the pillow um, deciding whether I should sleep on the kid's bed or because so- sometimes I do come back to my bed mm-hmm. and sleep there and risk my son coming to our bed. Uh, and when I do that, like I do sleep on the cervical pillow, but now that I'm not used to the pillow anymore because I spent so much damn time on the floor <laughs> sleeping, um, the pillow has become uncomfortable for me. <laughs> oh, this is a bed-only pillow? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Does, like, not suitable I, for floor sleeping. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like it doesn't really work that way. To recap, it's got like a kind of a hole cut in the middle mm-hmm. or at least a, uh, it's, a, a dip. Um, less filled in the middle. Mm. And sort of filled around like an O shape. So does your head just like hit the floor? <laughs> yeah, that's the right. other problem is that, yeah, it would it would be on a harder surface. So so what pillow are you, are you actually using then when you are not in your bed? <laughs> just... I'm using my kid's pillow. <laughs> has trains on it. Amazing. And I always need to negotiate it with him. Like, uh... um, can I please use your pillow? And he's like, nope. <laughs> what a terrifying glimpse into parenthood that was. Thank you, Sam. <laughs> But it's, I guess it's worth it. Happy half year anniversary. Yeah, we're on our sixth month. That's crazy. I'm quite proud of us. Yeah, me too. I'm very proud of it. Actually, yeah, you're right. Let's not, let's not diminish our achievements here. I'm very proud too. Yeah, and I think we actually have a lot of learnings. Oh, you're going to do a three by three on ourselves? Oh, that could be a good show. I, I do think that we should do a year end show where we do some sort of reflection Maybe even pick out some of our favorite moments from other episodes. Uh, the ubiquitous clip show. Yes. That'll, that'll be fun to edit. <laughs> I'll have to trawl through 53 hours of audio to find that little clip that we talked about. Maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves because this, this will be in six months time. So, right. <laughs> uh, What do you do with your family at the end of each year? And you told us um, about this. It is a three by three, essentially. It is a three by three. Ah, amazing. It is the three things that we appreciated. And then three things that to be mindful of. Well, listeners, you can look forward to uh, to a three by three on ourselves in six months' time. Very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, mm-hmm. I actually do have another update. Excellent. Is that I think that we should pick out bits of news from this awesome podcasting site called Podcast Hot Dog, <laughs> and then talk about it because. I think that we have built this podcast from the ground up with the thing with the thoughts of learning on how to build a podcast, right? We knew nothing when we started. Yes. And, and look at us we now. We read a lot of posts, a lot of blogs, a lot of YouTube videos on microphones. So many. Yes. So many. <laughs> yeah, we learned about 
double ender recording setups and mixers and mic amps and now i'm just using a shitty 20 dollar mic <laughs> which <laughs> is the best that, yes so i was listening to our episode last week yeah didn't notice that much of a difference <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is me in a very nice studio but then and i did edit the show in garage band oh so, that's no which was me yeah. being clumsy because i don't usually use that i didn't mm. really know how, how to use it but this week i shall you i will be edited back in cubase where I know nice. all the shortcuts and I can do it a lot quicker. But that said, I was pretty impressed with GarageBand for free software like that. Mm-hmm. You can make a podcast, you can pretty much make a podcast for free. Yeah, and there are nice little effects that you can do like ducking, uh, auto-ducking and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. adding in audio or background yeah. music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just like some of yep. the sort of voice um, audio processing stuff or like a bit mm-hmm. of compression and noise gates. Uh, is it like the, if you're used to using other digital audio workstations it wasn't quite as intuitive as to how to set up per channel audio processing but no but there is there is something about it where um i think there is a sense of skeuomorphism that was built into the apps previously in GarageBand that now has sort of mutated into a quasi skeuomorphism that doesn't make any sense anymore yeah like initially when GarageBand came out there was it was you had to drag and drop a lot of stuff and like place things into tracks like the way that I think you would physically put them in there. And that made it easy for people who never used software before. It definitely felt like it was worse if you had a bit of knowledge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, okay, well, let's add a new track. And they're like, oh, do you want to record from the input? Or do you want to record or like add from iTunes? I'm like, none of those things. I just right. want to create a new audio track. And then, so of course, eventually I ran, I've remembered the Mac paradigm of just dragging and dropping the existing mp3 file just onto the screen and then boom it made a new track with the uh with the mp3s already there but yeah it was like that was not intuitive at all for if you had a bit of knowledge because you're like oh i'll just right i'll just make an audio track make it stereo or whatever and you're like oh i can't do that all of a sudden (laughs) but anyway yeah and it's pretty silly because it's gotten to a point where you can't it feels like you can't be a power user you have to be you have to go through the Mm. manual process of dragging and dropping and all that stuff yeah, I'm sort of reminded of uh, Logic. Uh, mm-hmm. not, sorry, not Logic. Um, Final, Final Cut. cut yep. Yeah, Final Cut 10. There was a massive uproar mm-hmm. moving from Final Cut 9 to Final Cut 10. I think it was Final Cut Pro, and then it became Final Cut Final Cut 10. And Final Cut Pro was actually a lot more like uh, Premiere, um, Adobe Premiere. I think the team that built Final Cut 9 was working on Final Cut 10, and then that got axed and became this new crazy very simple or just mm-hmm. like the whole interface changed and yep. then they went to adobe premiere and now adobe premiere is pretty much what final cut 10 should have been mm-hmm. i think anyway there's some interesting stuff happening in like the pro level apple app ui yeah which is a shame because it used to be so cool this would have made it more like iMovie again i don't have much experience it is a lot more like iMovie yeah which is unfortunate because iMovie is a total piece of shit <laughs> I was actually using it this weekend to like stitch some song ideas to mm-hmm. to a, a video. Like I was just kind sort of writing, trying to write some music for a, a horror short film, which was kind of fun. Mm. So like sending ideas and stuff, write some music, bounce it down to an MP3, put it into iTunes, import that into iMovie, and then like lay it over the video, and then I can send like a little clip back to the director and go, "Hey, how do you think of this?" But yeah, it's really not intuitive how to mm. there's like events and 
projects and <laughs> yeah i don't know it does there's something there that does doesn't click with my brain and it's unfortunate that it's in this quasi simple state it feels mm. like there isn't that much potential like the more you dig into it but that said i am interested now in maybe trying logic pro uh i think out of the software that still remains as uh sort of like a prosumer software logic still seems to be up there yeah so well when they an- announced the new macbook pros <laughs> whenever that's going to be um, i think from what I hear, about three months. I do want a new MacBook Pro. Yeah. Anyway, when uh, when I buy a new MacBook Pro, that'll be my new podcasting machine. And nice. I think I might switch, make the switch there to Logic Pro. But on that side note, um, I heard an episode of Exponential, which is my first episode of Exponential that I've heard. Aha! Uh-huh. It is actually Exponent. But oh, yes, Exponent. Yes, that's it. It's not a must listen for me, but yeah. it's a majority listen, shall we say. I'm not a completist on the episodes, but right. this is a podcast with Ben Thompson and James. <clears throat> Shit, I'm sorry. I've forgotten his name. <laughs> uh, but he's an Australian guy. Oh my God, it's yep. an American and Australian. This is basically That's Hello exactly Internet. what I was going to say. But for sort of tech and business, um, the Ben Thompson runs Stratechery, which mm-hmm. is quite a well regarded kind of tech news analysis site. And he's got a kind of a pay, a paywall around it. So you get a couple of free episodes. So you get a couple of free articles a week. But if you want all of them, then you pay, I don't know, like mm-hmm. 10, 10, 15 bucks. And like this is often held up as, you know, a great example of perhaps how media is going to be in the future and how mm-hmm. like the small publishers can actually make, a, make money and not rely on display advertising. So they have a show, and then that is often the show is kind of based around some of the articles that Ben writes, right? Um, on and releases on Stratechery. It's very informative, but I have I have huge problems with the way that Ben speaks. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, okay. he sort of rambles. It is very informative. So he, but he has this way of rambling that I noticed immediately, and I almost um, I'm almost hitting myself over over the head with it because I wish I didn't notice it. Um, but now every oh. time he does this thing, like it just bugs the shit out of me. I almost don't want you to to tell me about yeah, it because not I have not you. noticed it. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm blissfully ignorant right now. But the episode was about podcasting. It was, it was uh, a podcast about podcasting, which I yes. thought is very apropos because right now there's so much stuff going on around monetization behind podcasting, and so they mentioned stuff like mid roll and sort of like the previous technology. Which bring up really good points of like how podcasting became so popular, um, especially these days, and like how people are trying to find ways to monetize it. And so, yeah, it's a good episode. I think it's worth listening. But uh, because of the way that he rambles, I ended up falling asleep. But <laughs> when I did wake up, he was actually talking about the same thing that he was talking about before <laughs> I fell asleep. So I feel like there is definitely. It's less, it's not that information dense, so you can definitely <laughs> listen to it as a casual podcast. Because I feel like there's different densities with different podcasts. Like, Hello Internet is pretty dense. I think the way that they present information is medium to rich, right? Whereas, like, Audibles are very rich in content, so if you miss, like, five seconds, uh, I almost have to, like, listen to 20 seconds over again. Because they are reading it off of a book, so every word has been carefully written, yeah. right? Yeah. Or this show, in which case you can pretty much just sleep through most of it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, have a listen. I think it's uh it's pretty good. 
Yeah, and there was a corresponding blog post on Stratechery where Ben Thompson kind of gave an overview of the podcasting landscape and kind of the history, mm-hmm. which is also uh, definitely worth a listen. So we'll link to that in the show notes too. Yeah, they kind of drew a lot of parallels with web mm-hmm. publishing and right. how you know Facebook is now, you know, if you're a publisher, you're now pretty much completely dependent on Facebook. Right. And they've lost all control, whereas right now podcasters still have quite a lot of control over the distribution. But like the other concern is that podcasts still rely on RSS feeds in order to get updates. And mm-hmm. that could possibly be problematic. And also at the moment, you know, for in terms of podcast discovery, you know, it's pretty much iTunes. The iTunes podcast directory is, you know, pretty much the only way people can find shows. You know, there are other ones, you know, there's, you know, Overcast has, has its own directory where you can even find shows and, you know, Stitcher perhaps. Yeah, right now, Apple is certainly the dominant player, although, as I think as Ben says, like they, they're the dominant player, but they haven't shown any kind of interest in improving or working on it. Like, it's, it's tricky to understand Apple's position on podcasts from like a business point of view. Right. What's the return on investment for them for maintaining all mm-hmm. this infrastructure and the iTunes charts for podcasts, all this stuff, the directories, the, you know, all this thing, like they don't, what, what do they get? That's what I often think. And I mm-hmm. don't know what the answer is. I mean, I guess people say, oh, you can, it's a reason for to sell iPhones. I mean, are people just buying iPhones because of the iTunes podcast directory? I don't well, know. Well, I think that's, that's, that's pretty valid, right? Because there are lots of sort of exclusive content on platforms that are exclusive for it. Mm. Right. So if you think about just in like the Xbox versus PlayStation 4 world, they make oh, games world I know so well. <laughs> <laughs> they make games that are specific to that platform just to have people buy mm-hmm. that console. Right. But you know, um, as they say the RSS feed is is platform agnostic, so Right. But um, I think that's yeah. why like Apple is trying to make such a big play on owning um a lot of that ecosystem. Anyway, interesting stuff. We we might talk more about podcasting in future. Yeah. We have been reading The Originals by Adam Grant, How Nonconformists Move the World. And you'll be pleased to know that this time I have I'm ready to talk about the book. <laughs> Do you notice how I didn't say I finished it? <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can uh what do you call it? Um Go through my archives to find my review okay. of the book because right. so long ago it's, it's okay. been so long ago. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, do you would you like to do a brief overview of the originals or originals? Uh, can I give an overview of this? Jeez. Okay. Well, let's see. So, this guy Adam Grant, he seems to be fairly well known in the kind of the world of like business analysis and mm-hmm. behavior. Beha- yeah, that's a good way of describing it. But this is him trying to look into the world of how and why original people, which I'm putting in air quotes, people who stand out, people who are different, people who've had great success in business. How did that happen? And how are they different from the rest of the plebs in society? Right. I guess. I know he kind of uh, challenges some long-standing assumptions, which I think Mm -hmm. we shall get into, which I quite like. Take over, Sam. I feel like I'm doing a really bad job here. Yeah, so it's essentially you you're on the money in that he tries to speak about what makes originals original in today's society, but it's not he goes into like conventions of um it's sort of not what you think. 
right? Mm. It's he goes into things about um, different behaviors that originals might use and how to enforce that kind of behavior in order to bring out more originality. Mm. And he, it's it's a, this assumption that he he honestly believes that anyone can be original. And then it goes from like anecdotes to anecdotes on how his type of originality uh, can be spawned from like different corporate cultures um, and different examples. Um, mm. He talks about like the blueprint of companies and how founders have different blueprints. It's ultimately going through like a list of actions um, for impact of making oneself more original. And potential benefits of that. It, it varies from like the way that you might advise a child to spawn uh, more originality yeah. mm-hmm. to way like corporate culture is set up to um, like personal, I guess, uh, motivations that that help with it. Right. And sort of being accepting of certain types of behavior to actually spawn more originality in like your daily life. Or that's what he's trying to say. <laughs> Yeah, and also he kind of starts the book out by looking at some of his failures. Um, mm-hmm. For example, him not investing in Warby Parker. I think <laughs> they came to him early on, and so he kind of uses that as a device to frame some of the analysis oh, of get why it? Frame? he said, "Oh, thank you. I'm here all week." <laughs> so yeah, like why why didn't he see that selling glasses or, or rather frames online? Mm. would be as popular as you know shoes because this wasn't completely out of the blue you know they're kind of basing a lot of what zappos and amazon is doing yeah so he's kind of got some of his personal story in there as well which i thought Mm -hmm. was quite interesting way to kind of frame it so i guess i'm kind of jumping into the good things yep already i'm not sure i'm gonna have three of each but let's see how it goes i thought that was interesting like framing his own experience especially in like tech investing which i think perhaps in some of these other business inspiration books you don't quite get that yep. you don't get kind of like that personal anecdote of you know hey this is where i fucked up and right. let's have a look at why that was mm-hmm. that's actually going to be a bad point for me but ah, um, okay good. i think i think he did start it off in a good place like um this book actually had a lot of stories that i never heard about in previous personal <laughs> success books <laughs> but I'd like, I'm happy to announce that the Rosa Parks story. Oh God, yes, it's still in I mean, there. It's an amazing story, so I shouldn't be dismissive of it. But right, that's true. Yeah. It is an amazing story, but I feel like it's sort of like a checklist of things that you have to do if you want to write a personal success book. Yeah, you was there was there an about. airline story in there as well? Somehow, uh, I, I believe I actually believe there was an airline story. Uh, I was waiting for one. But maybe, to be honest, I did skip over some bits of this. Right. So perhaps Um, I missed it. I do think there was one. I just don't remember which one it is. (laughs) But there was definitely no Michael Phelps this time. No Michael Phelps. But um, I did enjoy the stories of Bridgewater, which is a company that I've surprisingly I've never heard of. I think I skipped over where he defined what it was. And I was like, do I know what that is? Yeah, it is a, I guess it's a hedge fund investment. Oh, right. right, Company. So usually very traditional market. But the way that the, the founder wrote these categories of rules mm. um, that was to avoid groupthink, which is another section that I actually liked. It was actually very enjoyable to read. And the other story about Polaroid and how the story of Polaroid led to the story of Bridgewater, I think those are good connections. Yes, and how Polaroid invented the digital camera, but then mm-hmm. went bankrupt because of it. Yes. Uh, well, were. there was some baseball stories though, right? By someone I hadn't heard of. I believe there might have been. I don't. I honestly don't remember. This was the bit where he was trying to show how 
Oh yeah, the stealing. The steals. How many steals? Yeah. Right, and yeah. that's on. Um, and then like child order. Yes, if you're a if you're a second born, then you steal more. Problem or, is, I don't know what baseball is, so this was entirely confusing to me. <laughs> Right. It takes a certain type of mindset to be able to steal bases, and that's sort of the principle behind it. Mm. Um, and it was mainly the people who were not the first child, but either like the second and last child, right? Or like the fifth of six children who had older siblings that played baseball before them that made them more of a rogue when it came to the rules. He started it off with this base, this idea of baseball, but then he kind of talked and moved it more into child being, order. Yeah, child order, but then also being a sort of originality as well. Mm-hmm. I guess I wanted, yeah, wondered yeah, as a parent if you read this section differently than I did. Like, did you? Because mm-hmm. to be honest, I kind of skipped over it. Because well, I was like, oh well. Oh. I think the child order stuff was pretty useless. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually think some other books actually explained that better. Um, there was one other book. I believe it was by the guy who wrote um, The Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. He wrote about um, the correlation between the highest scoring hockey players versus that child order. Uh-huh. Okay. Or, no, not, not child order, but like um, age. Like when in the year they were born. Oh, okay. That's interesting. To give, yeah, because I think it was like the January borns mm-hmm. earlier in the year because they actually have like nine to ten months more time of actually uh, growing up than the other people in their class, right? Oh, for like the September <clears throat> class. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. That stuff actually made me think about <laughs> uh, when <Right>. my son <laughs> should be starting school because he is sort of a... Uh, he's a December child. But yeah, stuff like that was pretty interesting. Uh, and the only thing that I actually liked about the child advice stuff was uh, the rules. He had this really good thing about if someone breaks a rule, don't make it about the rule. Make it about your character and how that your character or like your personality applies to that rule. Or let's say like your kid slaps someone. Mm-hmm. Don't say, hey, don't slap them. It's more like, you know, you're a good kid and good kids wouldn't slap other people make it more about the character rather than the slap itself because then they might they might just avoid slapping even though they want right it's not about changing their character right or, yes they say you know instead of don't drink and drive perhaps rephrase it as don't be a drunk driver right or don't be an asshole <laughs> <laughs> yes right <laughs> there are like helpful tidbits so this was a good collection of helpful tidbits and it really has to do with like advice that I haven't really heard before. Like I liked a bit about rationalizing procrastination, right? Yes, that was interesting. Yeah. I oh, I don't know if I agree, but it was certainly interesting to kind of invert well, almost saying into procrastination as a positive mm-hmm. or can have positive outcomes. Yep, that was that. That was interesting. Um, I I can't help thinking that it's more just being thoughtful. <laughs> and mm. considering all your options before doing something or learning everything or like taking time to understand things rather than procrastinating but perhaps i'm reading it differently but it's still an interesting interesting idea though yeah to me it didn't really strike home in regards to the way that i feel about procrastinating yeah um so i don't think it's a, right. it's that helpful but there are some other stuff that i really like like um avoiding the groupthink stuff 
on how groupthink mm-hmm. is toxic. God, I hate that word, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and also the defensive pessimism on how people who tend to be um, more active and have better ideas tend to be tend to have a defensive pessimism in their personality or tend to be defensive pessimists um, and like how that links to the go system, which are all like such corporate keywords, right? <laughs> There's also another thing that I like, which is uh, regarding venting. Someone encounters a bad experience. Venting is actually not a good thing to do because it actually, it's a lot, it's essentially like putting the foot down on the gas pedal. And um, rather than you just Thinking about it and actually digesting and processing what happened, venting just ramps up your emotions without good ways to for you to cope with it. So those things were good. Yeah, I want to just pick up on the uh, group think stuff a little bit as well. I mm-hmm. particularly liked the idea of canaries. Mm. So this was the idea that sometimes if you if you have ideas or product directions or things like this, asking the people perhaps closest to you or like your friends or the people you always ask isn't necessarily indicative of how everyone's going to feel. And often, you know, people who are like you are going to say, oh yeah, that's a great idea. And it's only when you then expose this idea to the rest of the company, people go, oh, what the hell is this? This is awesome. This is terrible. And then becomes this huge thing. So one idea he has is the canaries. I think this has been used at Google. They identify a group of people who, uh, how do you describe it? Who are sensitive to, how do you say it? It's like like, they're sensitive to negative impacts Mm -hmm. on on their lives or on, on the on the company i guess uh, and they also aren't afraid to speak their mind right. and then you, you sort of you make this a you make a group of these people and then they become advisors and it's kind of like a sounding board for mm-hmm. these new new ideas or new processes or new features that you kind of want to implement uh i thought that was a very interesting idea yeah and it, i think that also sort of led to the like having actual devil, devil's advocates mm-hmm. whenever you bring up a new idea or a suggestion Mm. rather than emulating a devil's advocate, right? Which I think causes more problems. <laughs> right, you want an actual devil's advocate rather than... Right. Because <laughs> a lot of times when you simulate it, like they they tend to either just mimic it and don't really feel what the beliefs are, right? Mm. And so it could, it could either easily be bypassed or it's fought with too much strength, right? Which can bias the um, the idea, even more so. But it's interesting, when I was reading that idea about canaries, I instantly started making a list of the people who I think are canaries in the office. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great if they had like little canary badges. That'd be amazing, yes. Yeah, that is a good concept. Yeah, I wonder how difficult that is to actually implement though. And who decides what a, who a canary is or not. And should I, they know that they're canaries? Oh, right. Does that affect their canariness if they right. know? <laughs> Maybe there should just be like a library of canaries that they don't know, right? And as you make a decision, it's you you select a random group of canaries yeah. to ask that idea so that it's not like a built-in pattern. But they're essentially just like your office friends, right? Yeah. Uh, any other good points for us, Sam? Um, no, I think that's it for me. I quite like the cover design. I guess you didn't get that with Audible. How, how was the Audible experience? That's one of my bad points. Okay, let's let's jump into it. Yeah, he read it like an episode of How It's Made. Oh, I've never heard that show. There is like this set cadence of the way he speaks. And I don't know if it's because of the writing, but it's like, 
First, you open the bag. You open the bag, then you fill it, and then you zip up the bag. And every phrase was like that. It's like with procrastination, you get this. So you have to take time to think about this, and then you can do this. And you're like, ah, like just stop talking that way. It drove me crazy.、Um, <laughs> But I, I I fought through it. I just listened to the whole thing.、Um, there's a photo of him on the back jacket cover, and he's doing. Ah,、oh, damn! There's a name for this type of smile. It's called like a Lucine or Duchess. No, <laughs> but it's the, it's the smile where you just smile with your face, but your eyes are completely、oh, stationary. And、right. that's like the、um, unauthentic smile. Yeah. Yes. And he's, he's he's like, oh, this is just the worst photo ever. He's. I want to send. Actually, I want to send it to you because this is just quite something. Yeah. I need to look up what that type of smile is called. They're like, there's been studies around it, and right, like people find it completely off-putting. I think so. Here's what I think about the guy. I think he is actually probably has really good advice if you talk to him, if he talks to your company or your group. It's probably really enlightening. Mm-hmm. But I think as a book, like that, doesn't really play through for some reason.、Mm. Hang on, okay, look, this picture's coming through.、Um. <laughs> uh, you just sent me that picture.、Uh, like that's the picture they chose. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe that's his genuine smile, which is very mean of us to laugh at him about. Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> What do you mean? Like his eyes are rigidly fixed in that position, unable to <laughs> display any type of emotion. <laughs> Maybe he's、oh. just had like some Botox done. Maybe.、Uh, and like it was just just after the Botox, and yet oh, I feel to this photo shoot, <laughs> he's lost all <laughs> feeling in his face. Ah,、uh, that is a great smile. Yeah, I I found. Wait, what was I talking about? Audible. Audible. Yeah. So did I talk about last time how it drove me crazy that in the night mode. the The main page of Audible was still like starkingly white,、mm. and also,、um, like the thirty seconds and the loop. What's the thirty seconds? So they fixed it. They fixed everything since we last spoke. What? Really? Which is amazing. Yeah. So now, if you go into night mode,、mm-hmm. um, everything is dark, which is great. And also, if you go into the now playing view,、mm-hmm. oh, they fixed the startup times. Uh, no. Oh, okay. That's still shitty. Okay. <laughs> But now, if you the remember, there was like if you look at the now playing view of Audible,、mm-hmm. there was a little semi like a semicircle with an arrow that says thirty seconds, which is to go back and forward thirty seconds.、Um, and previously, like that thirty seconds was like off center. Oh, <laughs> amazing! And now they fixed it. Oh,、so、thank God! That、gosh. made me a little happy. They they are making. Really good improvements to the Audible app. They even added a nice, nice,、uh, nice little shading on the app icon. Well, well done, Audible. Do you use channels at all? No, I've never used it. No,、um, not yet. Anyway.、Mm. Yeah, this is interesting. This is a、um, this is Audible kind of delving into original content、mm-hmm. and perhaps moving into kind of podcasting. We should we should bring it back to. Oh, we should. Yes, yes,、yep. agreed.、Um, I struggled with this book, and I don't think it's necessarily this book itself, but I just feel 
feels super burnt out on business improvement self-betterment books right now, <laughs> which I think I've done to myself. I would tend to disagree with you. Oh, really? Yes, I think it is this book. Okay. <laughs> I just was so demoralized every time there was like a new chapter and there was in the summer of 1990, someone right. was doing something and just... Oh, hi, hi, hi. <laughs> so I think there's good advice in here, but to me, none of the ad- advice was like, oh my God, like I should really start doing that. Or that is absolutely groundbreaking, which I felt with some other personal success books. Mm, perhaps like essentialism, perhaps. Yeah, the way that it's written uh, is so meh. <laughs> it was just okay. like oh okay maybe uh, i was so sure it was it was me just being like oh it's these kind of books again like uh, maybe i've read yep. too many this year if i had to summarize it i would say this book was just tepid it's just good advice like that's this book is just good advice um mm. and the fact that he sort of like started this book because like he just couldn't get over his warby parker decision <laughs> kind of is i don't know like it's unbelievable to me like why would he reflect on his entire life and like what's original and inspect the founders of warby parker just because like he didn't make uh a gazillion dollars i i mean i still think that's interesting i guess it also shows quite a level of self-interest right but it started off the book that way and Mm -hmm. none none of the following advice really pertained to (laughs) on a cool full evening in 2008 (laughs) (laughs) right which which makes me think like he had like this really good collection of really good like good advice and Mm -hmm. he needed something to pin it on he started off with this warby parker idea and kind of made things stem from there but i don't know it just didn't feel as cohesive as some other books would normally there's a thing about Segway, which was Mm -hmm. interesting Oh, right. But I feel like it never wrapped up, or did I just... Yeah. No, you're right. It's Well, it was also based on timing, and that also related to like Warby Parker in some way. Oh, timing? Right. That, yeah. that, okay, so that's actually another good point there. I quite like that concept that... I mean, that's not... Again, you're right, it's like not groundbreaking advice, mm. but you're like, oh, sometimes timing is just not right. Yeah. And, and, like, that, was, think... and that is like the one of the main mm. uh, factors of whether a business is successful or not. Is the market ready for this right now? Yeah. Yeah. And he also tied the Segway thing to like the whole Canary thing as well. If he had people to bounce off ideas with initially as he was developing it, but because it was more secretive and, you know, there was a lot of trust put into it, they didn't get to vet it with actual consumers and stuff. Yes. And the inventor of the Segway is a member of the elite club of inventors killed by their own invention. Well, Dean Kamen didn't die from oh. it. It was a founder. Oh, Okay. It was one of the founders, but he oh, was good. also okay, like, Phew. all right. So Dean is still alive. Suicidal. Yeah. Oh, good. Phew. Yeah. He's, uh, he's actually making, um, more, um, like health related things, which I think it's in the book. Edwin. Oh, okay. Phew, whatever. <laughs> yes. Uh, as you can tell, I didn't read this, the book that closely. <laughs> How would you, would you, what would, what do you want to do with the future of this book? Would you recommend it to people? What is your thing? I think if you haven't read three other business improvement books this year, then give it a go. Right now, I'm, I would find it tricky to recommend. I hear what you're saying about you weren't captivated by it either, but I think people do seem to like this book a lot. And I'm thinking maybe it's just my, yeah, my own burnt outedness that is kind of affecting mm. my opinion of it right now. I wrote two things. I said, 
If you like, if you're if you're a person that tends to like personal success books, I would recommend it. Agreed. But if you're looking for one personal success book to read this year, this would not be it. To me, this doesn't seem like a must read. I just don't want to read any more personal success books for a while. <laughs> <laughs> what would you give out of five? I would give a middle of the road three. That is exactly what I gave it. I think because it's not bad. Like right. there is good stuff in there. Yep. The writing is fine. It's just, eh. Yep. I wasn't taken with it. And I was kind of annoyed that I had to read it. I was like, oh, you idiot, Edwin, why did you choose this book? Well, the <laughs> thing is, I think I think if it was very intriguing content, um, I think it would speak for itself, right? I mm. think you would have wanted to read it. But I also found it very difficult to get through this as well. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me feel a little better about mm-hmm. my poor achievements by myself. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Middle of the road, three out of five for mm. me. So yeah, I'll be quite happy if I don't have to read another business success book for a while, mm-hmm. which is why I'm so excited about the next book club. To Kill a Mockingbird. Turns out no one I know has a copy. I was like sure that I wouldn't have to buy this because surely someone I know has a copy of this right. book. <laughs> Turns out they don't. I actually think I have a physical copy of this book. <gasps> no way. Yeah. I might lend <sighs> Can it. I borrow I'll it? lend it to you. Yep. I'll look for it and I'll lend it to you. So I'm having issues with the Audible version. Oh, Is the author reading it? No. <laughs> um, it's uh, an actor, Sissy Spacek reading Oh, it. yes. You did say this on the last show, yeah. <clears throat> um, but here's why actors are not good voice actors. Oh, interesting. This is yes. relevant to my interests. Go ahead. And this is, this is actually a problem for voice acting because um, actors can probably relive the scenario and actually portray it in other ways other than voice acting, but voice actors can actually portray their emotions through voice and different voices. Mm-hmm. And the way that Sissy Spacek is reading this book, it's sort of like she's reading it... Um, to her children, mm. uh-huh. but without making special voices. So the book is written from a first-person perspective, and it's um, I guess it's the main character sort of recollecting um, the past and like what happened in like her childhood. Um, but the way she's saying it, she's going through conversations, and she has, I guess, the Alabama accent down which Mm -hmm. comes in the acting part, right? I'm sure Mm -hmm. she's amazing at making an Alabama accent and actually pretending like she's from Alabama. Yeah. But she's not great at portraying the different characters through it. Oh, right. She has one Alabama accent. (laughs) Right. And so this is problematic because there's lots of of dialogues happening. Mm. And she's not making a real effort to portray those different characters. Not like the uh, Steelheart. Not like Steelheart. Or not like, um, what was that other one that was really good? Oh, uh, Worst Person Ever? Yes. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was simply amazing. Oh, I just had a great idea for our end of year show. We should do like favorite book club book. Yeah, as well. for sure. Yeah. I'll add that to the show notes for episode 52. <laughs> so getting along with um, To Kill a Mockingbird for me, I mm-hmm. think I might actually continue... Um, like actually reading the physical copy of it or oh the one copy the that you're going to give to me <laughs> yes i'll actually give you that i actually got the kindle version ah uh, okay of course uh yeah so i am again starting from a disadvantaged position because i haven't started it yet are we gonna do it next week 
Yes. But there's so much to talk about. We should. We should do it next week. We have a two-week thing, right? Okay, otherwise you won't have anything to read. I'm sure we can read another Brandon Sanderson book in that week. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. In in Goodreads, I have signed up for the 30 Books a Year Club. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Right now, I am three books behind schedule. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Jesus, that's quite a lot of books. That's Yeah, that is more than two a week. I mean, that more is, than one every two weeks. Right, so 24 would have made mm. two, uh, would have made one every two weeks. Mm. Oh, I see. And we've, we were already a week late with mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and now we're a week late with this guy. Yep. Well, let's see. I'll see how I go. Okay. I have a busy week. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Right. I'll try yeah, my best. If we, if we decide like maybe the day after tomorrow or something that it's not possible... <laughs> Right. How much of this book can I read in two days? Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) In addition to reading the originals, we've also been playing Imbroglio. Sam, what is Imbroglio? It's a game by Michael Brow. Bro. Uh Who's someone who people know and like. He has made previous games such as... Oh, shit. What did he make? Uh, Something with numbers in. Yeah. Hack. Oh, okay. He has made games such as 868 Hack. Aha! Oh, we were both right. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Helix and Crypt, which are um, iOS games and also on the PC, but they have been sort of acclaimed for their roguelike nature and the amount of fun that people can have through them. Um, so Imbroglio is actually what looks like a combination of uh, a roguelike and a card-based game. Right. Um, and essentially, you're a character that has certain stats. You have a set level amount of hearts versus set level amount of diamonds, which I think means magic or something. And you go around this grid of 4 by 4 squares um, collecting stars. Every time you collect a star... Um, the map or like the the four by four grid changes by the walls shifting around. So mm. you're still in a four by four space, but the walls will shift around. So you have to move a different way to get to the next star, which is randomly placed in the four by four grid. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but as you move, every move you make, um, someone will take. be watching you. <laughs> uh, there's a monster that appears and slowly creeps out from one of the corners, and the monsters will slowly move towards you with every uh, move you make. (laughs) Um, And once they're adjacent to you, they will attack you. Uh, And of course, you can attack back, but your attack back to them will depend on which square in the 4x4 grid you're standing on. Right, that gives you your kind of attack power, I guess. And so each square has a different type of weapon uh, versus a different type of attack that you can perform on the monster. And some monsters um, have weaker hearts, uh, weaker, like <laughs> less amount of hearts. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Breaking hearts. Uh, yeah. And other monsters have weaker magic. And so let's say... Oh, is that the difference? Oh, yes. Interesting. Okay. And so if you encounter a monster that has one magic versus four hearts, uh, you want to be in a square or on a floor tile that does a magic attack so that you can kill them with one move instead of four moves Mm. um, as opposed to attacking their heart. Right, because then they attack you back each turn. 
So, yes. Yeah, like I've been playing it, so I think I get it. Mm-hmm. But I still think I don't get it. <laughs> so there's there's this thing where after you reach a certain amount of stars, mm-hmm. um, you can rearrange your floor tiles with something custom. Right. The right. initial floor tiles are sort of set, um, uh, I guess, very generically. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, each column will represent a different type of attack, but they're all the same. But I think the more that you use a certain amount of tile, um, the stats of that tile will increase. And there's something with like yellow coins, which I don't understand. Right? Have you, have you like you collect these? So I don't yes. really know how you get those, but so yellow coins are they even coins? I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I believe they're achieved through. I think. The amount of, hmm, I forget how they're achieved, but every once in a while, they're harder to achieve than yeah. stars. Yeah, I, I have I think three. something like, for every five stars you get or something like that, you get a coin. And then you can use like three or five of your coins to refill one of your hearts or something like that. Mm, gotcha. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But there's also another thing where if you if you gain a star, it auto fills one of your heart and magic or something like that. Uh, I did not have fun with this game. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I think the concept is really good. I think there's lots of potential, but where it loses me is um, the UX and the design of it. I don't mind the ugliness of it. I think it's actually charming. It does have a very unique look to it, yes. Yeah. It sort of reminds me of like classic Mac games, like the black and white Mac games. that, like, Do you remember this game called Dark Castle? something like that i have not played many games on the mac i'll be Mm. i'll be honest here it kind of reminds me of the artwork of that after you reach a certain amount of stars for a character that you first choose Mm. you have the ability to then rearrange the floor tiles with custom floor tiles which gives you different weapons and this is where it completely lost me because i was willing to like look through the different cards but the way that the ux is set up for it like it just seems so tedious to look through each card and understand one, how many cards there were. Two, the different kinds of cards there would be. And three, like what initially, like what would be, like I guess that's the game is like you have to think about what cards might work for you. But it just seemed way too tedious. And the way that it presented itself and you traversing through the different cards just made it really boring. I'm impressed. I haven't collected enough gems yet or stars to mm. get that power. So I'm still working on that. On my second run, I got something like 84 stars. Jesus. Like wow, okay. Yeah, see, I have some catching up to do. Um, for me, I'm still I'm still captivated by it. I think mm. my interest in um, Hoplite has decreased, and then my, increase, my, my interest in this has increased. Oh, really? Well, I got the fleece. Yes. Yes. And but now there's another, what happens, yeah. right? Like, I have to do it all over again? Now you can go deeper. Don't but I don't, I don't want to play those levels again, though. <laughs> already, I've done it once already. Jesus, leave me alone. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I think if I think it's maybe just a psychological thing. Like, oh, if right. there was a new quest with a new board or something, mm. I don't know, I'd be like, okay, great. But somehow like, oh, I've got to do these levels again for something. I don't know. But that's it. I am still open to it. I might, I might play it a little bit more. Because hmm. there's... Right, if you take... 
the fleece, but then go deeper and then come back again, you get super mega bonus points or something, right? Right. Yeah. Which could be interesting, but but yeah, I I am more likely to play another game of Hoplite because I think it's um it's still really fun and action packed. Mm. But this to me doesn't feel action packed. Yeah, like you don't have that same feeling of right dread and like feeling trapped and like oh where do i go for my next move and right you're like oh those fucking wizards yeah they're the worst they're the worst and then when you're concentrating on them boom the archer sneaks yep. up on your new oh yeah uh <laughs> yeah you're right you don't quite get that feeling with this game you're like mm-hmm. oh maybe maybe because the 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 monsters are so cartoony maybe in this one yeah yeah there's see here's the other thing like the monsters are they kind of look like a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And so right. to me, like, <laughs> like that, I can't... Like that I blue can't. snake thing? <laughs> yeah. I, so I can't really take them seriously. Um, and this is where I think, like, design is, like, very important because you can just shape up a few things and actually make it a lot more exciting. Yeah, and I think also the sound design on Hoplite yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Even uh, though it's, like, 8-bit sound, right? Yeah, but it totally works. Yep. Yeah, yeah, like the footsteps and I don't and know. The, yeah, it's great. The way, like the exploding sound versus yes. like the jumping sound and then the <gasps> spear throwing sound. Yeah, all works really well. So I've actually played just two games of Imbroglio <clears throat> and got what? to the part where I like, can't believe you. You. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I played two games and I have like eight stars. <laughs> you played two and you got eighty. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and then I got to the part where like I have to like switch around the cards, and I was like, nope, fuck it. <laughs> I do remember the review that we put in the link uh, that we put in the show notes last week. Uh, maybe we'll put it again this week. Did say, "Oh, you'll be spending a lot of time on this screen." Oh, and I think really? that is the, the 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 board design screen, the know? card select screen. Yeah, yeah. And they all look the same. I think that's the other problem I have mm-hmm. is like glancing at them. You like it's very difficult to tell these apart. Right, like the iconography is really small. But I'm going to carry on playing though. I'm, all right, maybe I'll give it one more try. Okay, well, let's revisit this next week. Okay. When I've not read To Kill a Mockingbird. (laughs) You can just sense it now, can you? It's not the red dot for the peaks, but the red dots for the beeps. I I just made that up. That makes no sense.